0: Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, We you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean
1: in, because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Noel Parnell. Hi, Noel. Am I pronouncing your name hey.
0: correctly? You are, you are, Mike, you are. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for coming on a podcast. Um, you are a Philadelphia native. Uh, you've been involved in real estate for many years. It's, it's kind of your journey and your passion. But before we jump into real estate, let's talk a little bit about you, your history. Uh, one of the uh, great interesting things about you, you are a runner, swimmer, crossfitter, jujitsu. jitsu <laughs> Muay athlete, and you were a member of 2008 U.S. Olympic team, specifically on the Paralympic team. So tell us a little yes, bit about yes, your yes. journey. You know, you live in Philadelphia. This is your hometown. And we'll dive into real estate, but just a couple of words about Noel before we do that.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, again, born and raised in Philadelphia. Had a uh, track of football scholarship down south to uh, LSU in the transfer. Uh, took a shot at running uh, professional. Didn't make it. I still got chosen to help some other person out, and that's really big because that's what I do now is that I help other individuals achieve financial dreams. So I always make that correlation of having somebody else meet their Olympic dreams. Um, um, I'm all over really right now. I love sports because it always teaches us valuable lessons you know, you need failure to succeed. So I'm always looking for, you know, the hard test in jujitsu or, you know, it might be weightlifting, it could be boxing or swimming. It's just kind of pushing your threshold. I think that always kind of builds that character and you you need it in this type of uh, economic environment, particularly with real estate.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, the physical fitness and supports mental fitness. Uh, and, and we are facing Uh, An economic downturn, the the real estate is not enjoying high interest rates and everybody's concerned with what's going to happen in in the upcoming months or or in in years. So in the meanwhile, uh, certainly uh, mental strength is important and the mental fitness. So uh, any any other thoughts on this or let's dive into uh, real estate, sort of your journey in real estate, how you started and where you're at today? Yes. Let's
0: dive in. I'm ready. Uh, so I got my start right after the great recession. I got laid off from GSK and North Carolina. And, you know, two lessons I learned from that is that I didn't want, I didn't hate my job, but I didn't want anybody to have um, just the power to terminate me at any time any longer. And so I kind of Googled that moment was like, how do the rich become rich? And it was like some metric, like 92% own real estate. And that took me on my real estate journey uh, moving on. And from that time, from about 2009 to 16, I acquired almost over 118 units by myself. And I was through Philadelphia that was kind of doing rehabs, flips, uh, triplexes, quads. And uh, I looked at what is my other goal right now. And um, and that's kind of through family and then also other ambitions is that, you know, I I want to buy into a sports team later on and you can syndicate into sports teams. And so uh, what I like to do now is, you know, we want to help what I call um, white collar individuals um, that are very smart, but have dumb money. And what I mean by that is that their money is sitting in their bank and their savings accounts earning right now, savings are up they're earning like three or 4%, but if inflation is at 8%, you do the math of how much your money is actually really worth at that time. So what I'm just doing here is saying, hey, there's other options out here, and I like to present them. And it may not just be for me, but that can be for um, other syndicators. That's what I think. That's what makes me a little bit different. Is that I just want to put people in the best possible position because when it comes to uh, syndications, I'm sure everybody gets the emails, receives the advertisements. It's about the jockey. You know, what is their history? Kind of navigating through turmoil how are they operating you know what is their actual you know you know track record going through a downside you know it was very easy to do real estate between you know my opinion from 2014 to 20 like you know interest rates were dirt cheap it was very easy to do real estate now let me know how you're operating right now are you doing cash calls You know, where you where you over leveraging or over trying to over deliver on properties. You know, I'm very, very, very conservative on the properties that we look at, and that's for reasons that I want to keep. You know, um, I want to help people build. You know, that's that's the main goal. They go as far as I go.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the journey and some really interesting nuggets. I love how you call it the white-colored dumb money. I mean, I, I, I yes, yeah. I, we have to be very careful and respectful to uh, many yeah, professionals yeah, yeah. who make their living doing whatever, and their money yeah. is sitting in the bank and not earning yeah. them a great rate of return. Although, obviously, with high interest rates, higher interest rates, the banks Correct. have started to pay more. Before, it used to be quarter percent, and now you can actually get you know, four and a half percent in a yeah. bank. Four percent. So it, yeah,
0: that's what I said it's higher you know you look at the money that apple made apple was at, uh apple's actually at the highest right now the apple savings account and i think they did like 10 billion in almost like uh two weeks that's very impressive but what is that money actually earning and i i just give people a platform to understand they can do other things with their with with their heart on money than just kind of blindly invest into their you know their 401k that they don't know most people don't really understand what their money is being invested in through their Vanguard account. So I just give people lots of options. And um, I, I like I say, what's different for me is that I, while I do syndicate, I'm not necessarily looking for you to always say, guess what? You can invest with me. I know other great syndicators that I would recommend. I want to, you know, I believe in abundance. So I'm not just saying, oh, this is me, me, me. I know other great syndicators that have deals out here and that I invest in, but, and I try to teach people like how to bet their syndicators, you know, what sort of some real frauds um, that I'm seeing in syndications right now, uh, particularly that I see, you know, a lot of uh, younger syndicators living off of acquisition, uh, acquisition fees. And so their main goal is to put these syndicates together based off an acquisition fee. And, you know, what happens is you leave the your investor kind of hanging there. Uh, so, and you're seeing some of those things out there in the environment right now. And I um, I just like to make sure people are aware of it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, the environment drastically changed in the last six months. Boy, I mean, we're talking about day and night difference. And it started to change uh, over a period of a little over a year with Fed pushing rates. But um, a lot of uh, syndicators uh, and operators are beginning to fail. And and some of them yeah. are failing hard. Then they're, they're not able to execute. At the end of the day, raising capital is uh only a small portion of a success story. The big portion is execution, and execution has been really difficult. And if you combine that with what has happened with variable rates, uh, a lot of people are getting crushed, unfortunately. So it's it's yeah. it's gonna be a bloodbath. And I, I hate to put it any other way. There's gonna be no, a no, blood on the streets, and, yeah. and uh blood what, what water, I, yeah yeah and 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 of course selecting people who uh folks invest with is critical um the right operators make all the difference today The ability to solve problems uh execute on projects makes you know meaningful difference you can still be in paid from the high interest rates but at least the chances of success are uh improved
0: it yeah, it, it, it mitigates it uh, you know i always say like again um how battle tested are you um and, and as you said there're there, there's going to be some blood in the bath, but I think it's about operating, um, putting the deal together and getting it to that, you know, the, I guess the quote unquote finish line of signing that loan. But the real work comes within your first 90 day business plan, you know, and making sure you're making good on everything in those presentations that you had. Um, I always like to, you know, I pride myself on saying, hey, I have, you know, investors and, you know, lenders that will come to me on projects that have failed or failing was like, hey, will you take this over? And I'm like, oh yes, because I know how to operate. And I guess my story is a little bit different because I was kind of behind the curtains. So you have to really know how to operate and asset manage when you're working with different property managers and, you know, uh knowing metrics, kind of kind of seeing the red flag with different property managers. Uh how, how do you know if you know your rental increases and, and changing cultures of buildings? So there's a lot that this goes into um operating the building outside of this, oh, this pro forma, we're going to raise rents, you know, $150. We're going to charge for uh volley trash. You know, that all sounds good, you know, until you're actually in the thick of things and you really have to execute it.
1: Yeah, that is the truth. Uh, a lot of deals have been underwritten with aggressive performance, not enough reserve, inexperienced operators. And then of the day, uh, some of the assets that they've acquired have had to have some fundamental challenges, and it's it, they need re- real repositioning, and then there may be property issues, and a lot, there's a lot of hard work which not many people prefer to do. And the other thing you mentioned that battle tested. Well, I I don't know too many battle tested um operators who started after 2008. It's been a kind of a most people has been an upwards journey, or the market supported. Uh, let's just call them not perfect execution of course we we've done a lot of work with uh vertically integrated really experienced uh mm-hmm. folks that are battle tested but they haven't seen the downturn that's my point uh, right. the downturn, uh has been very limited other than the short duration during COVID, and then it was short lived and suddenly things got you know the the, the, the March continued so the, the battle test uh in 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 this context is seeing a real recession and by the way situation we're experiencing right now hasn't been seen in in a long time for 40 years interest rates have, have been dropping and suddenly well, they, they they pushed up so it's a well
0: 2009 you, they were like, you know i was getting rates at like you know nine percent you know so when you look at 2009 and, and i i kind of again go back to your experienced operators like that your bruce Fraziers that are out there your ashley wilson's those have kind of been through that system. And it's um, a group, like I said, that have been through like the high interest rates and knowing how to operate those high interest rates. And like I said, even you have a valid point about going through COVID and the downturn, but um, yes, you're right. Historically, I would say interest rates are, to me, again, this is subjective. If you look at the, you know, you, you take a robust look at interest rates over, over time, you have this blimp in time where interest rates are at two to 3%. I would call that an anomaly if you're looking at the grand scheme metric, you know. So historically, interest rates have been between six and nine percent, you know, in the '80s maybe at fourteen. But one might say, guess what? Interest rates are actually coming back down to where they need to be. We were just at an anomaly for that period of time. you just look at robustly at interest rates throughout time.
1: Yeah, that you you absolutely bring up uh, the right point. Uh, we can we can do a debate on this. Uh, I'll <laughs> I'll give you my opinion on the subject. And yes, historically the interest rates were much higher at, at in you know in the eighties, uh, late eighties. Obviously, were way higher, and certainly for some folks have experience looking at the interest rates where they are now, even way higher. The big difference, by the way, between that time and the time now, the amount of debt. In the system was substantially lower, including debt to GDP ratio. So and both public and private debt relative to uh the size of the economy, both private and public and private enterprises were way lower. So in this environment, we're facing the interest rate normalization, which has happened really, really fast. Going from zero to five is is a is not five percent increase. If, if one of the ways to think about this is U.S. Treasury was uh, at one, uh, sorry, uh, uh, one-tenth or one percent at the bottom Mm -hmm. of the uh, COVID crisis, uh, the worst part of it, and now Mm -hmm. it's shot up to five percent, so it went up 40-fold or 49-fold or 50-fold, so some experiences uh, are such that theoretically these rates are not necessarily high on a long-term basis but in reality where we were just a little little while ago that's what I'm what I'm saying that the system needs time to adjust and the Fed has not given us the time so without spending too much time on this yeah yeah. uh, let's go back to kind of what are you doing today and kind of what's your journey and how you're working with folks what are the alternative opportunities Uh, and and in this environment by the way the syndicator of yesterday and folks who are doing it from a year ago two years ago they awfully they, they struggle uh, mightily uh, in this environment to raise capital. Many of them, especially if they have troubled deals, they're going to have a difficult time raising capital from investors who are uh, caught on the past deals. They got hurt, they're being hurt, and going to get fresh capital raised is not an easy exercise because a lot of new investors are very cautious today. So, what are, what opportunities are you seeing? I'm just curious. What do you think? Where the great deals are, and what do they look like in this environment? So. So
0: the great deals that I'm finding, uh, I am doing and still purchasing, I'm actually still getting uh, Freddie Mac loans for I'm doing a refi at a 5.3 right now um, for a building in Houston. But I find that the mom and pop sector, you can still find a solid deals that's going directly uh, to mom and pops. And these are like, I would say mid-size deal. They're between 60 and 100 units. So they're not their larger ones. Uh, and depending on what market you're in, you're, you know, these purchase prices are anywhere between 10 and $15 million. Uh, you know, right now. You can go to a smaller secondary market, you may find some within the five million. But right now I find that to be kind of a, a sweet spot because these are folks that aren't uh, like owned it, you know, for umpteenth years, like sometimes 20, 30 years, and they're just looking just to, you know, pass on some cash. To their own children or their grandchildren, or in some cases, a lot of children don't even want nothing to do with the business at all. So I've been finding really sweet spots uh, within Texas, uh, kind of going directly to, to to Mama pop. So even right now, I have a 94 unit and 101 unit that are off market in Lubbock that are that have been owned for well over 25 years. Checkers. What I've been staying away from is the, the you know the properties that are that are, they're still high because they're trying to cash out of the money that they're, because they're behind. Those are ones where I'm not seeing any deals at, but the mom and pop sector that own it, I'm still seeing deals in that. Now, you know, again, we talked about the interest rates. That's always the big thing. Can you cover the debt service? You know, you can do your capital improvements and that's always the tricky part is finding that sweet spot where it is covering the debt service and you're actually delivering on your investors. I'm not seeing um, you know, cash on cash returns at seven percent. I'm seeing anywhere between like honestly three to five percent. You know, cash on cash returns that folks are really giving, um, thirteen to fourteen percent IRRs. Uh, I don't, I am not seeing any more when people are like twenty percent IRR returns or eight percent cash on cash. I avoid pref altogether, um, just because I don't. I don't like to put the deal where I'm giving the investors the pref. I want to make sure that we can just kind of deliver on just great returns uh, in and out. And I'm holding for a little bit longer now. I'm proposing the deal for five to seven years instead of three to five years.
1: So that's interesting. Um, I appreciate the the, uh, explanation. So a couple of things. One, I actually like the fact that you're setting investor expectations for more conservative returns, which is on equity, which is the truth. When interest rates rise, typically returns on equity fall. Unless, of course, you find phenomenal deals. Right. So yeah. <laughs> the, the opportunity today is to find distressed sellers. What you explain is a little different. You go into a traditional route that's been around for a long time. Uh, older, tired sellers who are ready to exit, and you can still get a pretty good deal from them. Yeah. But it's yeah. not like a distressed seller when they the interest rates are, are hurting them. If they don't sell, the bank is going to take the asset. So it's a distress, but it's not a real distress. It's this some kind of seller motivation but not like a terrible seller motivation because if they don't sell, right. the bank will foreclose. So, um, uh, but but I, I do like kind of your comment, which is very real. Your comment is absolutely on the point that the cash on cash returns on a forward basis are low. If you're buying a property uh, and, and multifamily trades still at pretty low cap rates and you have to borrow quite often at the rate above the, the cap rate that you're paying for it, right? And when you do that, you have a negative impact on the cash flow. The more you borrow, the worse the cash flow gets, and you actually can't service the debt. So, getting three five percent cash from cash is that's the real world, right? That's that's what it is today.
0: You're 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 hitting it on it because I I I didn't mention that, but I'm seeing with some of the lenders they want you at thirty five percent loan to value, and it used to be twenty to twenty five percent. They want a minimum thirty uh, five percent loans to value, and then also the DSDR, your debt service. Um, a lot of lenders are looking at 1.40 minimum, where it used to be 1.25, you know, and when you have like a, you need to hit a 1.4, it's like, whoa, you're you're like, it makes things really hard to find a really good deal, you know? So you go through a lot of things, well, a product and underwriting to actually find a quality deal.
1: Yeah, great point. Um, well, I really appreciate that because this is what we're seeing too. <laughs> <laughs> that the leverage is is reducing so 35 percent down means maximum leverage of 65 this is the good old days right and quite often <laughs> on number of deals I even hurt 50 to 60 percent leverage that's it uh and the reason for this is because uh, the banks you can not meet that increased dscr at 1.4 it's a such a gigantic de- debt service coverage ratio it's safe for the bank but for you as an investor it's it's i mean it, it's it's Hard. the risk is reduced on both sides right The risk is reduced on the bank side and reduced on the investor side because of a low leverage, but it requires a whole lot more equity. And returns on equity are naturally typically reduced for the reason that uh, you have low leverage and you have to uh, pay high interest rates. So, yeah, that's a great point. So, where are you looking for the properties? I mean, you're in Philadelphia. Are you are you looking to buy in the kind of the uh, sun belt? Are you looking mostly in Texas? You said, if I heard, uh, yeah, uh, kind of. I mean, uh, so,
0: yeah, I I do what, predominantly red states. I do that for a reason, just because they're more landlord friendly. And so, I am in Texas, and Georgia, I'm in uh, Kentucky. Those have been kind of my three main stomping grounds. I will do Pennsylvania, but I stay out of Philadelphia County, where I've kind of made my mark. It's just because it's just too tenant friendly, and if I, I need to make sure I'm getting rental income to give to my investors, so those are some of the kind of like my rules of thumb of where, why I like the rent the investment.
1: Yeah, makes that makes sense. I'm in New York, and probably has the worst uh, uh, tenant landlords <laughs> in the country. You, 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 if you are the the the, the tenant. You feel like a landlord, and I'm dealing with some of them. That's what they feel. They Good. feel that their rights are such that you're the landlord serving them. It's kind of crazy how the world. Yes. In some of the uh, these, and, but it is what it is. That's why Texas yep. and Georgia make make a lot of sense. I. I hear you. <laughs> how, how do you operate? We, we we have only a couple of minutes left, but I'm just curious. How do you operate remotely? Because one of the biggest risks I see uh, with many operators is they are, you know. Running a property in Georgia out of Phoenix, so when you are a thousand miles away, you're relying on property management, and property management quite often, you know, we've seen this again and again. And I don't know what's been your experience. Some of them are not that good, and then they start good, then they fall apart. Finding quality property management is a mission impossible. It's very very exactly. difficult,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: and they'll they'll start like a dating they'll, they'll, everything is fine, but the moment they you you stop watching them very carefully. They're not doing good work. Properties are not being maintained the way they need to be. Leasing people are not driven. The the regional managers don't go out the same way. And before you know, you have some underperformance. You start digging through and you're beginning to understand. You go to the property yourself and like, oh my God, there's trash on the property. People are not taking care of the business. Oh, they rely on property manager. And the property manager is not doing their job. How do you how do you deal with that?
0: Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right about that. Um, there's a couple of ways to do it is that one, when you're um, the asset manager, you're dictating to the property manager how you want your building to be ran. So you should have your business plan. When we close on a building, uh, that first meeting is always in person. We're going over the units, the capex plan. And we're actually pointing out this is actually sometimes a week long meeting because we want to make sure everybody's aligned of uh, what the needs of the building are. You know, not hearsay through email. Then I move on after that to have weekly meetings with the property management. They have something they have to give to me, which is a morning uh, report that's going to attract, um, work orders, uh, traffic flow, economic and fiscal occupancy. And so we're going through that, and we're just tracking the count. It's kind of like project management. So you want to have your 30-day look. I want to keep you on that schedule. And there's triggers that you can see if the property manager is falling off because I, I in fact, have hired property managers. I may be firing another one, uh, possibly as well, because once you see it start slipping, or maybe a certain individual, or director or the regional that was holding things together left, and then you're like, "Oh, okay, this other person isn't catching on a lot." You can't let it. You can't let it slip. You know, I, I, you, you try not to let it slip, but I always tell people, you need to. Um, I would say when you first get the building, it is kind of micromanaging. It's a weekly meeting, and then I always meet to monthly. I never move it out any further than that, because anything outside of that, you'll, you'll lose track of everything and out of sight of everything.
1: How often do you go to properties? How often do you go to see each property? In I area? I
0: I go to each property at least once a quarter, but I also secret shop. And so when I'm secret shopping, I will send uh, individuals to the to the property. Do you see? Like, is there trash? Um, I've secret shopped a property at one time where I actually had a. <laughs> the, uh, the the housing <laughs> leasing agent actually was like, oh, I'm just too busy. He gave me this the keys to the apartment and had me show it myself. And so those are like, you know, some of the red That's flags terrible, that you have yeah. to do. Yeah. And so these are some of the things that you have to do. But I always go to the property lease once, um, once a quarter. I'm physically there. And then I also bring my investors to the property at least once or twice a year, you know, <laughs> depending on what uh, what region we're in, because it could be something hot, but we also get the opportunity for them to actually see the product that they are invested in.
1: Yeah. That's a great idea to visit the properties. Um, uh, oh, love yeah. that idea. Appreciate your wisdom. Thank you for coming on a podcast before we wrap up. How would folks so. get a hold of you? Uh, is there a good email website? What, what's the best yes. way to reach?
0: Yes. It's a Noel at Crown Capital Corp. Uh, that's a C-R-O-W-N capital C-A-P-I-T-A-L Corp dot I always respond. I'm, I'm really big on that. So you can hit me up. I always respond at least within 24 hours.
1: Yeah. I appreciate uh, your sharing and appreciate your responsiveness. Uh, and uh, thank you for all these nuggets. And it's great that you're going to the properties at least once a quarter. Uh, it yes. is, <laughs> it's not easy to do it when you're a thousand miles away, it, but you got to go to these properties. There's nobody better than you being on site. So. Noel Thank at Oma Time. What's the email? Noel at crowncapitalcorp.com. Crowncapitalcorp.com. Ca- yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Noel, and wishing you best of success and uh, appreciate you sir. being a guest on a podcast. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. Sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to
0: Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon
1: and type Mike's Lawding. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.